Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, I don't often stand up here and brag about my own accomplishments, but you should know that in addition to being a loving father and a decent home cook, I happen to have been known in the late 90s Winchester youth sports scene as one of Little League Baseball's worst ever hitters. I know it's hard to believe, I mean, look at me, but no matter how many hours my mom and I spent in spring training out in the front yard, no matter how many times I fantasized about being up to bat for the Red Sox in the bottom of the ninth inning, there I'd be, batting ninth. They'd have me batting tenth, if there was such a thing, failing to connect with yet another pitch. I had a brief renaissance in baseball during the early years of kid pitch, when the combination of my gangly frame and my peers' inaccuracy with a baseball led me to an on-base percentage driven by walks and being hit by pitches. But I swear that my batting average was never above 50 or so, and I do mean that like .050. But my coaches were nice guys, so I was mostly on the receiving end of positive, affirming coachly shouts. Good eye, they'd say, as the ball sailed by four feet off of home plate. Keep your head in the game, as I instinctively ducked to avoid being struck in the head by a 10-year-old's fastball that we all wished I'd just let hit me. And my favorite piece of sports advice of all time, look alive, an expression they definitely teach in dad's school. Look alive. Now that's one that I can do, because I cannot hit a baseball to save my life, but I can look alive, because I am alive, God help me, and I can play the part. Of course, that's not what look alive means. It's not look alive, it's look alive. Pay attention, be alert, keep your eyes on the proverbial or literal ball. If Jesus were your baseball coach, which is definitely the title of a country song, if Jesus were your baseball coach, he would say as you stepped up to the plate, come on now, keep awake, look alive. Advent's here. Keep awake. Jesus says to his disciples, Beware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. We often spend these four weeks in December leading up to Christmas looking forward to Christmas Day, to God's arrival in the world in the form of the baby Jesus being born in Bethlehem. But the church's worship in Advent also looks forward to something else. When Jesus says you do not know when the time will come, he's not talking about the time for Christmas, the time of his own birth, that would be kind of weird as a 30-year-old guy. He's not talking about the first coming of Christmas. He's talking about what's sometimes called the second coming, that day that he describes in today's gospel, when the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall and the heavens will shake and they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Jesus tells the disciples to keep alert, to keep awake, because that day is coming, but about that day or hour, no one knows. Neither the angels, nor the sun, nor any preacher who tries to calculate the date to a Tuesday in 2027, but only the Father. So they should keep watch, Jesus says, lest it catch them unawares. But it's a little hard to know exactly what he's talking about. Because Jesus needs to be exaggerating somewhere on one side of the equation or the other. If the second coming is some actual day of earth-shaking darkness and divine judgment, it still hasn't happened yet. 
And the urgency in what Jesus says is perplexing. Surely the disciples don't actually need to stay awake for the next 2,000 years until an actual day of the second coming of the Lord. And if the urgency is real, if they really do need to keep awake, if it is, as Jesus says, the case that in that generation this will happen, then maybe he's not talking about that literal day of judgment, that actual second coming. Maybe this is a metaphor or analogy. Maybe he's talking about something else. Advent, after all, is more than just a season of vigilance for the day of judgment yet to come. It's a season as well of memory and of comfort and of hope. It's a season in which, during what are literally the darkest days of the year, we are reminded of the great things that God has done and the great things that God will do and the great things that God is doing even now. The prophet Isaiah, for his part, looks back to the past, reminding God of the times when you did awesome deeds that we did not expect. And Isaiah hopes for the future. Isaiah prays for God to do something. One of my favorite prayers, one that often feels true, oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. But Isaiah also acknowledges that ongoing, present work of God. We are the clay, and God is our potter. We are all the work of God's hand, Isaiah says. My middle school pottery class skills were as poor as my elementary baseball skills, but even I know that a potter's work is not one and done. There's a shaping and a guidance that takes place between the potter's hands and the clay. And I love this as an image for human life, because you can't look at any given pot at any given moment in the process and know what the future has in store for it any more than you can with human beings. That one might look pretty rough right now, but it's still on the wheel. This one might look pristine and perfect, but you don't know that it's about to crack in the kiln. Paul does the same thing, balancing the future and the past with a healthy dose of the present, and maybe even more so. He begins this letter to the Corinthians giving thanks for the grace that has been given them in Jesus, and he reinforces the promise that God will strengthen them until the day of the coming of the Lord. But he's more focused on the present, on the ways in which God is enriching them now, on the spiritual gifts God is giving them now as they wait for that day. He talks about what God is doing for people in the present because he wants to talk about what people are doing to each other in the present. And after this beautiful theological opening, he spends most of the next 12 or 13 chapters talking about all the church conflicts the Corinthians have, all of the very human issues they have in their life with one another. Like Jesus, Paul wants these Christian disciples to be vigilant, to keep awake, to be alert, but not for the ways in which God will come to them in the future, but for the ways in which God is already working, in which the Holy Spirit is already present in their lives together now, working in them and through them and in and through the people around them, people who sometimes really get on their nerves. In the darkest days, in the midst of great suffering, when it seems like the whole world, maybe the whole universe, is coming apart, in other words, most days, the Son of Man is coming, wrapped in clouds, and those clouds are apparently pretty thick. You'd think that when God does tear open the heavens and come down, it would be an obvious thing, and yet Jesus tells the disciples over and over again to look alive, keep awake, be alert, because this awe-inspiring appearance of the Lord 
might otherwise go as unnoticed as his birth did in the back of an inn somewhere in Bethlehem. I wonder how true this is. I wonder how many awe-inspiring moments sail on by while we're hacking away at something completely unrelated and missing. Maybe not the baby's first steps or your first time at Niagara Falls, but the child's hundredth drawing of the same variation on a ninja or the smell of a wreath for yet another Advent season. In other words, not the few big moments in life, but the hundred thousand small ones. Not the one big life-changing experience, but the daily experiences, the little spiritual gifts hidden for each one of us, scattered throughout the stuff of daily life. So keep awake this Advent. Be alert. Keep watch for the ways that God is appearing to you here and now. Keep watch for the hand of the potter shaping you and the people you love and the people you don't love. Keep your eye in the game and your eyes on the ball. And if that's too much during this chaotic season before Christmas, if it's too much amid the shopping and the cooking, the family visits and the final exams, then at the very least, look alive. Because you are alive, thank God. And I give thanks to my God always for you, just like Paul knowing that God loves you and that God is faithful to you and that by God you are called into the fellowship of Christ. Amen.